Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. I have to say, every once in a while, when I'm, I'm writing my sermons, and something will come up, and I'm like, huh, I have two sermons here. And so I'll just give both sermons. I'll just say, okay, this is my first sermon, and this is my second sermon, and usually they're both short. So I'll just give you two short sermons. And so I was writing, and I was like, I think I'm going to write two short sermons um, because I had some different ideas I was working with. And then I was like, no, I think I'm doing three short sermons. I've never done that before. And then I was like, you know what? I think this all fits together. And um, so this is going to be a little bit convoluted. There's going to be a lot here. Um, But... I promise you it's going to be worth it. I promise you it's going to be worth it. So, um, thank you, Carl. I appreciate that. Um, so there's a secret that's written into the Bible. And, and that secret, it's from the first stories of Genesis, and it's woven throughout the formation of Israel, um, and then the history of Israel, and the decline of Israel and Judah, and then the ancient prophecies, and the poetry, and, and then the sagas. And, and it, the secret is the key to all of our lives, really. And it's how do we fight the evilness that we encounter in life? Right? How do we fight the evilness that we encounter in life? Um, and, the, and the secret, it's what gives us strength as we work and as we live and we, and we struggle and we try to pay our bills. And it gives us power when we utter prayers, when we go to pray for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, it's what allows us to stand firm when we're faced with evil. It's what brings us to repentance when we encounter uh, the evil that sometimes we find at home in our own hearts. And it's what gives us strength to withstand the attacks of the evil one when it comes. Now, we're going through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And the main point of the letter of, of the Colossians was to encourage to the church there to hold on to the salvation that they were taught. Hold on to the salvation that they were taught. Um, that Jesus is enough for them. Now, there are false teachers in Colossae um, that tried to teach people um, other spiritual practices uh, to achieve the things they wanted. And, and these would just be like, do these extra things to get, more, to get more spiritual power and strength. And it's stuff we'd hear today. You know, like 12 daily affirmations to achieve your perfect career. Or the power of the juice cleanse to detox the baggage from your life. Or... Uh, or fasting to achieve spiritual enlightenment and power. It's studying the stars to find perfect love and compatibility. All right, They dealt with the same things that we dealt. They wanted to find love. They wanted to be satisfied in their jobs. They wanted their family to do well. And there were people that would write things. And they'd say, oh, well, if you do this, you'll get that. You do this, and you'll get that. And Paul was writing, and he was saying, no, no, you don't need that. Jesus is enough. You can turn to Jesus. You don't need any of that. Jesus is better than all that stuff because the, all the power of God resides in Jesus. So turn to Jesus. Now, that's kind of what we've gone over the last couple weeks. So now we're going to go over the next part. One, this is Colossians 1, 24, 2, 2, chapter 2, 5. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up my flesh in what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you to the, the word present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generation, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chose to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so purposely works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I present you with, I present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, there are three things I want to point out in this uh, section of scripture. And then we're going to go into what's well, kind of another sermon, but it's actually more like application. So, um, and some kind of some specific ways to follow the scripture in this passage. Now, the first thing, the big secret that's been hidden in the Bible from ages past until now, Christ is in you. Christ is in you, right? So the mystery that's been kept hidden for the ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. That is the big mystery of the Bible. That is the big mystery of the Bible, the big secret. The fullness of the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in us. Um, God's glory and mystery and majesty lives within all those who call upon the name of Jesus. Amen? I could use some of that. And because of that, because of that, we don't have to concern ourselves with the same concerns of the world. Uh, right? This is Romans 8, uh, 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The fears of the Colossians, right? The fears of the Colossians of being vulnerable, of being alone, of being weak, of being insignificant, of not mattering, of, and, and really all those things, right? Those, those are the same fears of all people, of not being loved, of uh, being worthless, being inadequate. Okay, all those fears, all those fears are answered because of Christ Jesus. The hope of glory lives within all those who follow him. So we are no longer subject to the kingdoms of this world. We are no longer alone. We're no longer uh, so insignificant. All right? We no longer belong to the kingdom of the world and death, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is the first thing I want to point out to you. That's the big secret. The big secret in the Bible. It's the mystery of the ages is what Paul calls it. It's big. Okay, this is the second thing. 
Christ saves Gentiles as Gentiles. Okay, and um, just to clarify, Gentile means not Jewish. Okay, the ancient Jews believed that God was going to redeem the world. Right, they 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 had prophecies that said that. Right, that um, they, the Abrahamic prophecies, but they thought that the world would be saved through the faithfulness of the nation of Israel. Um, and so though God may save the, all the world, Israel, as God's chosen way that God was going to save the world, would always be favored. Uh, Gentiles can convert, they can follow, they can participate in the promises of God, but they're always, they have to go through Jews, because salvation comes from the Jews. But Paul, he centers salvation on Jesus. Not on the nation of Israel, but on the embodiment of what Israel was. Because Jesus was Israel in flesh. Like all of Israel was pointing to Jesus. Jesus was the end point of Israel. And so Jesus Christ is salvation both for the Jews and the Gentiles, and for all the rest of us equally. And so we, who are not culturally Jewish, do not have to become Jewish. And this is a huge problem in the early church. Almost every book, every, every one of Paul's letters on some level deals with this. And at least it makes mention of this. Like, how Jewish do we have to be? What does it mean? Um, how much of the, 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 the even scripturally mandated stuff, right? The scripturally mandated stuff in the Old Testament, those things of Israel. How many of those things was, were the Gentiles supposed to keep? Um, do the guys have to be circumcised? Is that required? Um, uh, do we have to follow purity codes? Um, do we need to separate women when they're menstruating? Is, is, do we need to uh, to stop eating shrimp and halibut and bacon? Can we wear blended fabrics? Right? They, they were wondering about all these things. And Paul claims that the mystery of our hope, the hope of our glory, is found in Jesus, not in the rules of the people that Jesus came from. And that's huge. That's huge. Um, and, and that's something that, honestly, we've always struggled with when we share the gospel. We do. Um, what's essential and what's cultural? We always, we, we struggle with that. Um, and, and we get it wrong. The church has get, gotten it wrong. I get it wrong sometimes because they're like, well, this is the way I, I was taught. And I want to teach you the best way that I was taught. And sometimes the best way that I was taught was just the way I was taught. It's not necessarily scriptural. It's just the way I was taught. And, I mean, we live in Alaska, and we can still talk to our elders who can often remember their elders who can remember the gospel being introduced to their community, right? We can, so, so we're not too far away. And as well-meaning as uh, most of the missionaries were, and I believe that missionaries, most missionaries were really well-meaning. Um, I'm not a, one of those evil missionary people, but they only knew how to share the Jesus that they knew. And now, a lot of young, a lot of our young, and this is, this is native and, and, and white alike, um, like the Colossians, they're trying to figure out how to separate Jesus from the cultural baggage that came with them. Um, and that's a scary project prospect, because we don't want our young people to lose sight of Jesus. But there's, there's some sifting going on. How do we separate the cultural stuff um, from Jesus? And that's a scary work. Um, but it's a good work. Okay. So, I'm going fast, and I know it's a lot. Point three. We get to participate in the work of Christ. 
Now, I don't mean that we save anyone. Salvation is Christ alone. But as Paul writes here in um, verse 24, Now I rejoice when I am suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, uh, what is lacking in Christ? What work of Christ still needs to be done? I mean, well, that's just evangelism. That's teaching. That's correcting and discipling people. That's training people. And it makes sense. Uh, the work of Christ is completed on the cross, but it still needs to be declared and taught uh, for people to receive it. You don't know about Jesus unless somebody shares it with you. And Paul describes what this looks like in uh, verses uh, 28 and verse 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The servants of God partner with Christ to declare and teach the good news. Uh, one of my old uh, uh, seminary professors, uh, uh, Rob Wall, who whenever I was kind of uh, researching this, uh, turns out he wrote a commentary on Colossians. Um, he put it like this. Uh, Salvation is covenantal. It's not a spectator sport, but a dynamic relationship between God and the people from beginning to ending. God works with the servants of the church, struggling with them and powerfully working in them to bring about the forgiveness of sin and the promised life. We get to participate in the suffering of Christ for the sake of our brothers and sisters in the church. And that makes sense. If, if um, Christ is within us, then we're called to do the same things that Christ was called to do. Right? We are called to do the same work of Christ. We continue that work. So, those are the three things. Okay, this is that I wanted you to know. The secret, the mystery of the ages is that Christ is in you. The second thing. Christ calls us to him within our cultures. Not through outside cultures, but through within our cultures. Gentiles are saved as Gentiles. Jews are saved as Jews. Um, they're not saved as Gentiles, right? And Gentiles are not saved as Jews. White folks are saved as white folks, okay? Not as Middle Eastern. Yupik, you're saved as Yupik. Nupiak, you're saved as a Nupiak, okay? You're saved from your culture. And three, we're still called to participate in Christ's salvific work. We're called to participate. Now, in all these things, Jesus is the center. He's the center. Um, it's what Jesus is what sustains us. It's what gives us strength. Christ is within us. That's why we don't need all the extra work and wisdom that the false teachers of Colossae were selling. Right? It doesn't mean that our faith doesn't require things of us. We're participants in Christ's work, but not of our own strength. We're not jumping through spiritual hoops and rituals. Um, the Colossae teachers, they emphasize strengthening ourselves, right? disciplining ourselves so that we can be the best, so we can achieve spiritual enlightenment. right? And then they, they believe them kind of like a form of suffering, like the, the suffering will give you spiritual power. And Paul is emphasizing, um, we can't actually do anything. What we can do is submit ourselves more fully to Christ and to Christ's characters. And so when we suffer, it's not for power. We suffer for the same things that Christ suffered for, for salvation, for the redemption of creation. Um, okay, now we're going to shift gears. I'm gonna, I want to look at this a little bit more practically. 
and kind of tie in my next two sermons. Um, as we said earlier, this past week, Ukraine was invaded by Russia. Now, Russia is obviously the aggressor in the conflict, um, and this invasion is going to shake up the world. Now, I'm not qualified to uh, speak about how this upsets all the geopolitical politics, you know, um, or which, if any, of uh, Russians' justifications for their attack are legitimate. Um, I mean, I, I do have my own political viewpoints about what our country's response should be and why, but I don't believe that a pulpit's the place to share those types of things. Um, however, I bring this up because this war is going to affect so many people's lives. This is going to affect our lives. Um, even economically, we can see how um, the global trade's been uh, disrupted. Um, Ukraine is one of the largest wheat-growing countries in the world. Uh, Russia is one of the largest oil-producing countries in the world. That means demand's going to go up for those things. Prices are going to rise. We're going to pay more for things. Right? And oil gets tied in with everything else. Um, so there, so there's going to be a cost. Those things that are happening over there are going to cost you personally. Um, now, why am I saying all this? Okay, this is where it really gets tangled up. Wednesday is the start of Lent. It's the start of Lent. Um, now, Lent is a season where the church traditionally fasts. It's a 40-day fast, not counting Sundays. Um, that continues until Easter Sunday, uh, when we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And you know, from history, it's it's been a part of church history since at least the second century. Okay, um, it was part of the preparations for baptismal candidates um, in the second century, right? As preparation to get baptized, you're you're expected to fast, and uh, and they did a, it was no food, just like like one meal a day, a simple meal a day. That's that's kind of how how they did it. Um, but by the time of the Council of Nicaea in uh, 325, it was kind of codified. They kind of like made up some rules. Like, okay, let's say it's 40 days, and it, you know they did 40 days because the 40 days you just spent in the wilderness. And it's a general fast for all believers. It's not just for baptismal candidates now. So they, they said, Let, let's make this for all believers. Okay, so there's a big history. So from 200s to you know, 325 more formally. Now, I'm a big believer in fasts. I, you don't, you might not, I might not look it, but I believe in it, <laughs> okay? Um, in our land of plenty, we love to feast. We love to celebrate and enjoy the good life, but too often we ignore the hard things in life, if we can, if we can. We ignore sin. We ignore brokenness. We ignore suffering. Now, I don't mean that we don't acknowledge those things. Christians acknowledge those things. But often we try to distance ourselves from those things. We um, ask for the forgiveness of sin, but we don't grieve it. Um, we don't plead with God to save the world from sin. Now, um, the point of a Christian fast isn't you know, just to be hungry. It's to grieve sin. It's to grieve sin and to plead for God's salvation, right? And declare that only Christ has the power to save us from sin and the power of evil. Okay, that's the point of a Christian fast. Now, you know, the Colossians, the teachers in Colossae, um, they believed in fasts too. 
those teachers, but their class was different. They, they fasted so that they could have the strength to, um, to be protected from demonic influences, uh, to, to avoid evil, okay? Um, those sort of things, to get what they wanted. Now, the main difference between those, these two fasts, because that sounds some like, wait, doesn't that sound like what we want to? The main difference between these two types of fasts, the fast of the false teachers and the fast of Christians, is the why. Um, the teachers of Colossae taught that if you fast, if you do these aesthetic practices where you kind of make your body suffer, you're going to gain power. You're going to get stronger. It's going to strengthen you. It'll give you authority. Because the stronger you are, the more power you are going to have in this world and in the spiritual world, and nothing is going to take, right? Nothing can influence you. You're going to have more power. Now, that's the opposite of what a Christian fast is. In a Christian fast, we're saying, God, I'm weak. I am weak. I can't do anything. All the threats and all the powers of this world are stronger than I am. It's admitting, I am powerless in the face of evil and sin. It's humbling ourselves. It's saying, God, this world is yours. Help. Authority is yours. Okay? So, fast of the Colossians was, so I can have power. Fast of Christians saying, God, I don't have any power. I need your help. And that's the purpose of the fast, is to be weak. It's to admit our weakness. That's why Paul told uh, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, um, my, and this is Jesus talking right here. This is Jesus talking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And now this is Paul again. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardship and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay? There's a difference. There's a humbling. Remember, Christ's glory, Christ's ultimate glory is the cross. Right? The cross. It's where he empties himself of all power, humbling himself to death. Breaking the power of sin and the evil one. And fasting, Christian fasting is intentionally living in that space for a period. And so I invite you to fast for Lent. Especially at this time now of global upheaval. When the world's um, kind of turning around. Because war is always going to be horrible. And especially you know, with this war... Uh, the strength and nuclear capability of Russia, the closeness of NATO's borders, um, Putin's desire to restore uh, ancient Russian power, um, how this might influence China and Taiwan's relationship, um, our own tangled history uh, with the participants. This time is particularly fraught. Particularly fraught. I mean, gosh, just a few years ago, Ukraine was the number three nuclear power in the world. Did you know that? Now they disarmed themselves. Um, they disarmed themselves and then Russia attacked. What's that say? <laughs> now, um, traditionally fasting 
um, is, is for food, but Lent's for 40 days. And uh, so often it's not food um, for Lent. You fast from something that's important to you. Uh, some of the most common fasts are meat. Um, I've, I've done meat. That's a hard one. It's a hard one. Um, another one's sugar, caffeine. Um, but the thing is, you should fast from something that actually matters for you. Give up something that actually matters to you. Uh, um, sometimes people do things during Lent, like in, engage in some daily spiritual practice. And, and that's great, too. That's great, too. But I want to share one thing I always give up. I always give up the news. Um, I always give up the news during Lent. Now, I'm a news junkie. I, I literally listen to dozens of um, news and legal podcasts a week. Dozens. Um, and I read the paper. I try to be an informed citizen. Like, and I, I, I listen to everything at three times speed with the silences clipped out. So it's usually four times. So it goes fast. And I'm, I'm listening all the time. Um, and that's just part of what I do. And I've just been reporting all this. I've just been telling you all this stuff about Russia and why it's important and the Ukraine and why we need to pray about it. But let's face it. For most of us, there's little here in our church that we can do about it. I mean, there, there might be something, you know, we might know somebody and there might be something we can do about it. But for the most part, there's nothing specifically we can do. So whenever I stop, paying attention to all the news, I am decentering myself. I'm saying, it's okay that things are happening that I don't know. And that's hard for me. <laughs> it's saying, I trust that God's in control of this, this world, of this nation, of our state, of our city, that God's in control of all of that without me. Um, it's a way for me to surrender all of my opinions and all of my outrages and all of my illusions about control. And, and really, um, all the stuff that, 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 that really feel like makes me me. Um, I like to know stuff. That's one of the key components of my identity. I'm a curious guy. I like to know things. Um, I'm an Enneagram 5, you know, that, the collector thing, the investigator. I know something about everything. And this is just me letting go of my identity, saying I don't need to know everything about anything. I need to know Jesus. So that's the news for me. That's how I, this is what I give up. What's like the news for you? What are the things that you use to define yourself? Can you give it up? Can you set it aside for the next 40, 40 days? Um, like I said before, this isn't about glorifying yourself. It's not about earning a higher spiritual rank. You would get nothing for doing this. Okay? Actually, if you're doing this to get something, it doesn't count. That's a transaction. It's not a fast. But church, we're called to follow Christ. And what's Christ's ultimate glory? It's his victory over sin and death. It's the crucifixion. And so when we say that we participate in Christ's glory, that means we get to share in his sufferings. Um, not because we're masochists, not because we enjoy hurting ourselves. We don't suffer just to suffer but because we, we care for the world. We care for the Jesus. We care about Jesus. We care that he's glorified. So I encourage you to take the next few days, challenge yourself. Think of what are the things that make up my identity? What are the things that matter to me? That 
I feel like I can't give up. And then let it go. Surrender yourself to God's mercy and grace so that you can purposely grieve sin and intercede against the evil in this world. Let me pray for you. Holy Father God, our hope is in you. You are strength and we are weak. And Lord, I pray that we can be reminded over and over again that you are our hope of glory that we can center who you are in our lives and that we can let go of all the other things that we define ourselves with and focus on you. In Christ's name, amen.